pipe, oh, and it's yeah. blocked, and it, it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Hey, y'all, who dat? And welcome in. This is Inside Black and Gold. Going to hit you with a quick pre-Thanksgiving live stream here to kind of go over a few key details that we learned today heading into a Week 12 showdown with the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, a massive matchup with the Falcons. So wanted to get you all this info before you stuff your faces full of turkey, which I am looking forward to as well. But, you know, after I still have to go out to the facility and, and, and get all that good stuff because the Saints still practice. So we're still out there. I am Jeff Noah. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noah. You can follow the show on Twitter. We admittedly need to be better about posting to that Twitter account, but you can follow the show on Twitter at Saints underscore pod and today we're just going to go through we're going to get through this quick not going to talk much more than we have to but we're going to get through the injury report the initial injury report that came out on wednesday second segment i you know we had an interview with scott shanley on sports talk this past week and i thought he had some interesting comments about pressure numbers so i wanted to dive into what he had to say and and whether you know that's a a viable way for this team to attack the offenses going forward so we're going to talk about that then in the final segment we're going to hit a quick mailbag and it's going to be as long as the questions merit. You know, if there's a ton of questions in there, we can get to it. It'll last a while. If not, it'll be quick. So without further ado, first things first, let's just go through the Saints injury report from top to bottom. So there are the two resting players. They're always resting on Wednesdays. Why? I don't know. But you have tight end Jimmy Graham did not participate <laughs> with a rest day. He has been inactive for the last two weeks, three weeks, two weeks, whatever. doesn't matter. We haven't seen him catch a pass since week three in Green Bay. So I assume that will continue. There's no reason to think that he will suddenly be active this week when he has not been active in the past several weeks. So I wouldn't, you know, I've had people saying, oh, is this the week Jimmy Graham finally gets going because the Falcons can't cover tight ends? I don't think so. (laughs) But, you know, I'd love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. The other player is Ryan Ramchek. He's also listed for the rest day, but also a knee. I, I mean, it's not an injury to the knee. I think when you look at this listing and it says not injury related slash knee, it's saying that he is resting because the knee is there and they want to rest the knee. Whatever that means, Ryan's getting another rest day. Beyond that, cornerback Marshawn Lattimore did not participate with an ankle injury. So one thing that we should also hit before we go any further Michael Thomas has been added to injured reserve. That was a bit of a surprise to me personally, because that means he's going to be out the next four weeks. So even if, you know, the team has been pretty consistent that they expect him to be back and his injury is not expected to be season ending. But I mean, you're in week 12, four weeks out, you're talking about a week 16 return. So at best you are talking about, you know, a final three games of the season return for Mike Thomas. So at this point, you're operating under the, I don't know, impression that 
he's not coming back, right? Like you can't sit there and and say, well, we're going to base our plan around having Mike at the end of the season. At this point, if he gets back, great. But you're going forward, at least I am under the assumption that he's done for the year and you're going to, and you're going to, you know, if you get lucky and you can get him back, that's great. But I, I'm not going to hold my breath based on what we have seen over the last few years and how everything has gone. So Mike Thomas is on IR. That surprised me a bit. Marshawn Lattimore did not land on injured reserve, but that does not mean he will not. Dennis Allen hasn't given us any details on what exactly Mike Thomas is dealing with, and he's not giving us any details on exactly what the expectations are for Marshawn Lattimore. He's dealing with a high ankle sprain, and what DA didn't rule out today was that Marshawn could potentially land on injured reserve by the end of the week. And, and that's meaningful because if you go on this week, then you can come back in four weeks. If you try to wait it out and see how it progresses, then you push that out. Every, every week you go, you push it out even further. So if he's not on there by the end of the week, then you would be talking about earliest return week 17 and, and so forth. So that's going to be something to watch. I would not be surprised at all if you see Marshawn end on injured reserve this week. But you know, as of Wednesday... He is not. So he's still on this injury report with a DMP. Beyond that, that's really the only bit of bad news that we have. Running back Kendra Miller, again, a DMP. He didn't participate last week. He suffered that ankle injury in the win over the Bears. Frustrating because it came on a long catch and run. You know, I think you've seen some flashes out of him, and he has been one of the few explosive pieces of this run game this season. And so it looks like you're going to be without him for another week, barring kind of a late week return. Either way, you're not banking on it. The good news is defensive end Isaiah Foskey, who was dealing with a quad injury, did return to practice on Wednesday in a limited capacity. So he's trending in the right direction. I don't know if he'll be active this week, but he's given himself a chance, and that's good. Uh, The other, I guess, surprise you would say is a guard slash tackle, whatever you consider him right now, James Hurst, dealing with an illness. We don't know what that illness is. Hopefully it's not another one of those cycling through the locker room type illnesses, but he missed on Wednesday, and so he'll his status will be one to watch. The final name on this list, and it's is on there, and it's kind of a unique situation because Derek Carr was a full participant in practice, and he wasn't listed on the injury report with a concussion. He was listed on the injury report with, quote, concussion protocol. And so why why are you listing him with concussion protocol and not concussion? Well, He was a full participant in practice today. I don't think that there is any question among the coaching staff that Derek Carr is going to be your starting quarterback when you take the field in Atlanta on Sunday. Here's the thing. You have to go through a practice before you can clear the concussion protocol. And once you go through a practice, you have to be cleared by an independent neurologist, and then you can advance out of the protocol. Now, if you are still displaying concussion symptoms, which that would indicate you you are on the injury report with a concussion, you cannot go through a full practice. So this is kind of, I think this is the Saints kind of just navigating that and saying concussion protocol, clear him, and then we'll move on. Um, But to me, that's an indicator. I I think we can stop talking about whether Derek Carr is going to play. Every indication that we've gotten is that Derek Carr is going to play. He didn't talk to the media on Wednesday as he normally would because you cannot do media availability when you are in the concussion protocol. Um, I would expect to talk to him later in the week, but we'll have to see if he clears it on Thursday, if he clears it on Friday, one way or another. 
that's kind of something to watch. I don't think that you have to sit there and wonder whether he's going to play on Sunday, although I'm sure the Saints would like the Falcons to sit there and wonder. On Atlanta's side of the equation, you have wide receiver Mac Hollins limited with an ankle, quarterback Taylor Heineke limited with a hamstring, cornerback D. Alford limited with an ankle. Friend of the program, David Onyemata, also limited with an ankle, and that'll be one to watch because he didn't play in week 10 against the Cardinals, and ankle injuries can linger, so it, it'll be interesting to see whether he can get back on the field. Another one, kicker Young Hui Koo, I think I said that name correctly, was a DMP with a back issue, and you don't want to go into a game with a question mark on your kicker, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you need to kick a game-winning kick and you're like, man, I hope his back doesn't spasm right here. So that'll be one to watch. Who knows? They might have to go sign somebody if he's unable to go. And, you know, Koo has been one of the more consistent kickers in the NFL, particularly in late game situations. So that could be a significant factor for the Falcons. And then the final one, defensive lineman, Calais Campbell, had a rest day. Fully expect him to be out there. So you're trending in the direction of this is going to be a pretty healthy matchup between the Saints and the Falcons. You're not going to have any major injury questions lingering late into the week, barring any continued additions to this report. But you're going to you're gonna go eat a bunch of turkey on Thursday, and you should come back and feel pretty good about where the team sits from an injury perspective. Now, how they play, that is a completely different question. And the Saints are certainly going to be hoping that they can come out and have a much more representative showing than they did the last five weeks, really. And so the the two questions that you have are going to be, how do you replace Mike Thomas and how do you replace Marshawn Lattimore? Now, it seems like the Saints are leaning toward keeping Alante Taylor in the slot and having Ike Yadam kind of take over in nickel on the outside as they did um, in the first, well, whatever the amount of weeks where I can't recall off the top of my head when Paul Sanadipo was out. Ike Adam has played really well. You should feel pretty confident in doing that. The only question I have is whether you feel confident that Alante Taylor is your best option in the slot. And I asked Dennis Allen today how he felt about, you know, Alante's performance, and, and this is what he had to say. What's been your review of Alante Taylor in the slot for 10 games? Yeah, I, look, I think he's um, continue to, continuing to improve. Um, you know, I think there's obviously still some things that, you know, I'd like to see him do better. Uh, but I think he's made significant improvement inside in the slot. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that is what you're going to end up seeing with this team. And they're going to stick behind Alante. I'm not convinced he is the long-term answer in the slot. So it'll be interesting to see whether they adjust that plan. I would, if I, to me personally, I think you want to either have him play the slot or play outside. I don't want to see him shifting from base to nickel. I want to see either he's your nickel corner or he is your outside corner. Who knows whether they'll do it, but I don't think you're doing Alante any favors by asking him to add that to his plate. If you're saying you feel comfortable with Ike on the outside, then you should feel comfortable with Ike on the outside in all packages, not just base personnel. I mean, sorry, not just nickel personnel. Should be that in base, should be that in dime. Like just let people do their jobs. If your issue is people aren't doing their jobs, then only give them one job and let them do it. Don't put more confusion on their plate than there has to be. The next question, how do you replace Michael Thomas? Sure, it sounds like A.T. Perry is going to be that guy, but you did bring back Marquez Callaway. He's going to be wearing number 10, 
which is going to be kind of weird because, you know, his old buddy Traquan Smith is no longer around. That was his number. Alante Taylor is obviously wearing one, which is what Marquez wore. 12 isn't on the table. So you've got Marquez Callaway wearing 10. He's on the practice squad. He'll be interesting to see whether he is elevated. I imagine he will be because he's not a guy who needs to learn the offense. But with that said, I think A.T. Perry is going to be your guy. I got a chance to talk to him today. You know, it's it's tough to gauge someone's improvement throughout the course of a season in terms of confidence. But, you know, just in terms of how he sounded, how he presented himself, how he spoke about his own game early in the season, I just didn't get a ton of confidence. You know, I I felt like this was a guy who was trying to find his way, trying to feel out what his role was going to be, get better, work on his hands, work on his route running. The guy I talked to in the locker room today just seemed like a much more, he seemed like an NFL receiver, right? He just seemed like a guy who was a lot more comfortable in his position. He seems like he's bulked up a little bit uh, throughout the course of the season. He looks, I don't know, uh, thicker, I think is a is a good word. And, you know, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see whether he can show up. You know, if you can get reasonable production out of him the rest of the way, maybe 30-something catches, you know, 500 yards, I think this team is much better for it. Um, if you're trying to replace Mike Thomas with just Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid, then I think you're going to have a, a tough go of things. You need A.T. Perry to show up and be, Yeah, I don't, I don't know if threat is the word, but you need him to be an option. You need defenses to have to account for him. And I do think it gives you a jump ball opportunity in these games that you haven't really had. You haven't had that big, long receiver on the field where you could just go give him a chance and let him go up and get the ball. It's what he does best. It's what he did on that touchdown from Jameis Winston, which, you know, we asked him about it. I asked him about it. And he basically was like, I didn't expect him to throw the ball either. I was kind of like standing there by myself like, hey, man, it'd be nice if if the ball came my way because I'm alone, but no way he's going to throw it. And all of a sudden the ball's there and he goes up and catches it. And that's what he does. What he did at Wake Forest, it's what he's done for the Saints so far. So if he can be that contested catch guy, then this offense is going to be in decent shape. If you don't have that, right, if you suddenly lose that ability to throw the ball into traffic and your guy come down with it the way that Mike Thomas does better than anybody, then uh, and you're going to be in trouble. But that's it from an injury perspective. It's nice to have short injury report segments, which been, has been the case even with these injuries this week. I still consider the Saints to be on the right side of the injury bubble in terms of, you know, you're you're replacing guys, you're you're dealing with injuries, but you have you're always going to have some injuries throughout the course of the season. And frankly, you got through ten weeks before you've had to even consider replacing starters, really. So I think I think you're in good shape there. But all right, I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Go. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about pressure, but more importantly, blitzes. Can you bring additional rushers, and how do you do that? And why haven't you been doing that this year? I think. The, the parallels between right now you're without Marshawn, last year without, without, you were without Marshawn are kind of interesting in terms of how you handled it then, how you're going to handle it now. So we'll be right back. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Ring the bell on YouTube if you're watching there. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. Go ahead and do that. Check out WWL.com for the latest news, notes, and analysis. I have a write-up of this injury report on there. So if you'd like to get more information, go check that out. Otherwise, stick around. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. I'm your host. Steve Geller is hosting a show 
on WWL Radio right now, or at least he will be in about 40 minutes. So if you want to go check that out after this is done, you go for it. We're giving you this quick pre-Thanksgiving live Inside Black and Gold podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. We're going to talk about blitzing, right? We're going to talk about pressure in this segment. We were able to chat with Scott Shanley on WWL this week, former Saints linebacker. And I thought he had some interesting things to say in terms of how this defense is operated, what they need to do better. And so without further ado, let's hear from Scott. What's up with us? Somebody like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. What are we doing in the first half versus the second half? Now, hopefully Desmond Ritter, whoever's playing with Atlanta, then all of a sudden we dig ourselves a hole in the first half. If you look forward to the last five games, they've dug themselves into a double-digit hole before halftime. And before you know it, uh, a makeshift lineup on uh, the offensive uh, backups, considering who you're playing with the Vikings, we're down 24-3. I've never been so uh, frustrating because that's supposed to be Josh our Dobbs. that that's supposed to be our strength of our team is our defense. Yeah, no, there's no question. And for some for some reason, the defense played like the dome patrol when the offense was struggling. Then the offense gets going a little bit, and the defense <laughs> exhales and takes a break. Like, come on, can we just get two thirds of the of the yeah. offense, defense, and special teams to play well? If you do that, you're going to win a lot of games. Because I'm right there with you. Last week's game was severely disappointing to me. Cam Akers tears his Achilles. No Jefferson on the field. Uh, Hawkinson's out there. With no the Kirk Cousins. Whatever he had. No Cousins. And, and you know what? This is not a slide against Josh Dobbs. I said journeyman quarterback don't become franchise quarterbacks and look like Mahomes in in, right. in one week. Like he was one me, in nine as a starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a reason why six, seven teams told him, "Yeah, we're good," you know. But he found a way to do it. This is professional football. Everybody's playing. Every day's an interview. Everybody's playing for their job every single day. And and to his credit, he played great. But but you know, I, I was really frustrated with with the way the Saints showed up in that game because. The defense should have played better against that offense. When you just look at a personnel, personnel wise, even if the offense, even if the Saints' offense went back to struggling, I was just surprised that the defense played that way against against that offense. Now, uh, Scott, what is your take? Because you've been part of schemes and um, and how you want to rush the passer, and they they get Jason uh, Pierre Paul, uh, the new Haitian sensation. You know, used to be Junior Gallette, uh Then we had to run him off. Uh, that belt incident on the beach. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, but I'm looking at, uh, uh, I, I am kind of surprised the lack of production. I'd say, oh, Weber, you got to look at the quarterback hurries, quarterback hits and all that. But right now with 18 sacks, and we've been in the past where we've been high 40s, low 50s in sacks, but now with only 18, uh, we're truly not affecting the opposing quarterback. That's why... I think they want to see maybe if Jason Pierre-Paul can make a difference. There, there's no doubt about it. There's two things in the NFL that you can never have enough of, and that's guys who can rush the passer, and that's guys who can cover. If you can find good guys who can cover out sitting on their couch, which you really can't, or you can find guys who can get after the passer, you got to sign them. And, and so I, I'm right there with it. Jason gives you a, a NASCAR package where him and Granderson and Cam come in on third down, and they're rushing all together. And that's right. what his role is. And, you know, I think I think that's a positive signing. So I think if Jason give you anything, it, it's definitely a need because guys have not been winning enough one-on-one. And schematically, I, I'm kind of sick of seeing a three-man rush. I don't want to see any more three-man rush. Right. I want to see some heat. I want to see a five-man pressure. <laughs> no. And, and this is – 
I, I don't understand, I, and it's going to be hard because I think if Dennis was arguing back with me, he would say, well, why should we blitz? We're, we're taking the ball away. And that's probably why they're not blitzing a bunch because they're taking that the ball away. That makes sense. But, but, and that would be his argument as to why they're, they're going more coverage. But to me, when you can speed up a quarterback and disrupt him and get him off his timing game, that, that's, that, that's how you play winning football. And I don't think we did that enough last week against Dobbs, bringing five and six. When we did bring five and six guys, he didn't do anything. So I think we need to get back to pressuring. My last point about that is part of me thinks he's, he is protecting our safeties a little bit. Both our safeties, I don't think they're the best cover guys. Amen. Anytime we've gone – Anytime we've gone pressure, those guys can get exposed in coverage, and I think that's he's kind of protecting. Them. Well, well, I, not it, Malcolm Jenkins, it, it, Marcus it, it, Williams. That's no, for sure. that, that uh, like Charlie and I was talking about this, Scott. Uh, that listen, not against Honey Badger. We love him at LSU, but there's a reason he got older and Kansas City wouldn't pay him. But Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, they don't have the consistency you have with Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams back there. No, no, I'm I'm right there with you, Bobby. I think. I think uh, Tyron has been a heck of an NFL player, and I love him coming back home, and I think it's a great story. But at this point in his career, he's more of a he's more of a slot guy down in the box, maybe make some plays closer to the line of scrimmage. But you saw last week, Hawkinson, he, if anybody saw him route up Marcus May, Marcus May's not a great cover guy either. So you have really two safeties that right. can't really cover anybody. So what do you do as a defense coordinator? If you blitz six guys, that means those two have somebody man-to-man, or they're covering somebody yep. one-on-one. And um, my, my issue with that is, if you are adjusting your defense based on a couple of guys, then, you know, go penny package where you put in Alante for Tyran or, you know, somebody else who can cover, but you can still get after the quarterback and, and be more multiple. We haven't been as multiple defensively as, as we've been in the past. All right. So, yeah, that, that was Scott Shanley. And, you know, I thought there was a, re- a couple of really just interesting things he said there. One, you know, you hear about dime, you hear about nickel. You don't hear a lot of, you don't hear a lot of penny. You don't hear about a lot of penny packages. And if you're wondering what that is, it's typically the, the a package you go to, it's a sub package you're talking about three down linemen. So two ends and a, and a nose, three linebackers and five defensive backs, which is kind of unusual. But if you are kind of scrambling and you're trying to cover mobile quarterbacks, maybe that is the best option. It, it is an interesting idea. And I do think that you could serve from being more aggressive uh, in terms of how you're bringing pressure. Now, if you recall, last year, Cade Nellis really didn't see the field that much until Pete Werner went down with his injury. And, you know, I, I think the Saints probably would have loved for that to not happen in terms of, uh, you know, it's a lot easier for the Falcons to justify dropping a bag on his head if, you know, he goes out there and has seven sacks, which is what he did. And that coincided with Marshawn going down for 10 games. And so I think you are in a very similar situation this year in terms of, okay, we need to generate pressure. We cannot allow defenses to just tee off on our secondary when Marshawn's not out there because, you know, as good as Ike has played, as good as Paulson has played, as good as Alante has played on the outside, you know, they're not Marshawn. So teams are going to be more confident. They're going to attack it. And so how do you how do you counteract that? Well, you generate pressure. You find ways to bring pressure in, you know, to bring an extra rusher, Right. And whether that comes from the slot, whether that comes from the linebacker level, you know, whether that's a NASCAR package where you're just adding a rusher that way, maybe you have five linemen on the field and you add Jason Pierre-Paul and it's just a five-man pressure with with linemen, you know, you got to find ways to do that. And so I went and I looked up just the basic numbers here. So the Saints have blitzed 23 on 23.3% of dropbacks. That's middle of the road in the NFL. That's not... All, you know, it's not at the bottom. 
It's probably about, it's in the mid twenties, low twenties, right? So it's nothing crazy. And this, you know, I, I see people a lot of the time saying, okay, well, why not bring pressure? Well, in most cases, blitz heavy schemes are that way because you have to blitz. It's not because you want to blitz. It's because that's the only way you can generate pressure. And right now, it feels like that is going to be the way the Saints generate pressure. So I would advocate for for more of that. Now, you know, you can talk about hurries. You can talk about pressures. But I look at knockdowns. I look at, are you affecting the quarterback? Are you hitting him? Because I want to be hitting the quarterback. I don't want to just be making him react. Because in today's NFL a majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL actually get better under pressure, right? They get better when they get flushed out and they can extend. I want you to put them on their back. And the Saints have 25 knockdowns this season through 10 games. That's that's nothing. That's 2.5 knockdowns a game, right? Like That's nowhere near where you should be. You are not affecting the quarterback. You're not hitting the quarterback. I want to hit him. I want to make him aware that I am there. 25 knockdowns is good for 27th in the NFL. And that is not good enough. And I don't know how you get there. I don't know how you you scheme up some blitzes that you have not shown yet. But I think this is when you really start to do that. And and to to Dennis Allen's credit, I think he is aware of this, right? I think that is something you're going to see this week. So so keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for some more creative blitz schemes in the next week or so in terms of how you do that. And especially as long as Marshawn is out. So if you're wondering how the blitzes have broken down, the Saints player who has blitzed the most this season is Demario Davis. He has 29. Pete Werner is right behind him with 28. Elante Taylor has blitzed from the slot 17 times. Zach Bond eight times. Tyron Matthew five times. Marcus May five times. Jordan Howden two. And then a handful of other players, right? Lonnie Johnson, Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, all have one, right? And so to me, you look at it and you say, okay, where can we generate pressure? And I think it's time to find a way to get Zach Bond involved in the pass rush more because that's what you saw last year with Caden Ellis, right? I don't think Zach can cover the way Caden could and that limits what you can do with him to an extent. But I do think that Zach... Just at the end of the day, Zach's best ability is getting upfield, right? Being an on-ball linebacker. And so find ways to get him upfield rushing the quarterback. I'm tired of seeing him on the field and trying to cover. Like, I don't want to see it. Drop in a zone. Let him rush the quarterback. Play more zone. Play more zone. (laughs) Like, one of the reasons you don't play zone is because Marshawn is an elite man-to-man corner. You don't have him out there. Find ways to play zone. You know, Paulson Diebo's interception against the Bears where he just just stepped in front of Cole Komet. They were playing zone, right? This team can play zone. And if you're struggling to get to the quarterback, you're struggling to take the quarterback down as he escapes the pocket. One of the ways you can limit that is to play more zone. So I think it's time that you play more zone. (laughs) All right. You know, there's, there's a few other things, you know, JPP, we talked to him in the locker room today. I I am interested to see how they deploy him. I'm interested to see how quickly they can get him up to speed because I think he does still have something to give. I think this team likes Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, and uh, here's what DA had to say about him uh, today after his first practice. Yeah, I thought he looked good today. Um, you know, the, the one thing he's got is he's got skins on the wall. He's got, you know, pedigree. Uh, he's, he's uh, you know, really an instinctive player. He understands the game. So uh, I thought he had good practice today. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll – you know, get to continue to evaluate him and, and see where he's at. Yeah, I don't know how much he's going to play this week, 
right? That's a pretty quick turnaround in terms of in terms of what you're asking a guy to do. But as you go forward, you're talking about a team with 18 sacks on the year. Not enough. It's not enough. You're not generating enough pressure from the front four. And I think if you can start to do that, if you can start to get in the mind of the quarterback more than just, okay, well, we're trying to pin you in the pocket, then you can you can have more success, particularly early in games. You know, I'm okay in the second half. If you want to play a little bit more conservatively from a pass rush perspective and just force them to beat you, in the in the opening possession, in the first quarter, in the first half, I want you to affect the quarterback, right? Too many of these games have started with a guy just sitting there picking you apart because you're just, I don't, I don't know. To me, that's that's been the biggest issue is the Saints team has not been aggressive enough early in games. So hopefully, I you know, they they do what Scott says, and I agree. You know, you do that. One, one thing that I disagree with Scott on, in part, is I don't think it's necessarily both of your safeties that have been a problem. I do think Marcus May is not good enough in coverage to do what you need him to do. And, and when I say that, I mean, you replaced Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins, right? You replaced a center fielder with a shortstop in Marcus. Like Marcus Williams was an elite center field type safety. You had a guy who could range from sideline to sideline, make plays on the ball. And you never replace that. Like I'm okay with what Tyron Matthew has done and what he can do in terms of a, he's a leader in that defensive room. You needed that. He's a veteran. People rally around him. He makes plays on the ball. He's in the right place constantly. Sure, he's still 5'7". Like, you can only do so much. He is, you know, on the backside of his career. So you're not getting 2017 elite Super Bowl caliber Tyron Matthew. But you are getting a very good football player. The problem is the skill set behind him is redundant. You have Marcus May, who is not a good enough cover safety to play center field. And that's always been the case. And, and you know, as you look at how it's developed... I think Jordan Matt, Jordan Howden is the better option there. I, I like I know why you're playing Marcus May. He has a couple interceptions. He does find himself in the right place at times, but you know I, I just don't think you've gotten enough out of him. And I would love to see more Jordan Howden reps in the regular defense. I think this defense was better uh, when he was when he was in there um, and Mar- when Marcus was suspended. I mean, look at the numbers. You know, this whole five game stretch where you haven't been able to stop teams in the first half. You know what that has coincided with? Marcus May coming back from suspension, right? And I just don't know if he's doing enough. And I would love to see Jordan Howden get more run at safety. And I agree. Well, part of the reason you were you were running your defense the way you are is to protect your safeties. But I do think it is more about one than the other. If you look at if you want to look at coverage grades, like I don't have an issue with how Tyron has played. You know, some people do. Some people are going to have un, unrealistic expectations for a 32 year old safety. I have higher expectations for Marcus May than what I've seen. So either he has to play better or I think you replace him and and you find a way to get a little more athletic, a little more, I don't know, center fielder in, in, that, in that safety role. Because if you're going to blitz more, you're going to have to expose your safeties and they're going to have to hold up in coverage. And, you know, every time I hear Marcus May's name, it's either, well, he's getting a, a lucky interception tipped his way or he's screwing up. Right. There was a fourth down play where he just ignored the quarterback and allowed him to run uh, because he got lost in coverage. He got eaten alive by TJ Hawkinson time after time after time in that game. I think it's time for Marcus to either play better or take a back seat to to the rookie, uh, because I think the rookie has played well and I think his upside is a lot higher. So 
to me, that's where you're looking at. Hopefully this team can find a rhythm on defense and, and get things going because it has to start this week. Like mathematically, this is not a must win, right? Like you can lose this game and still feel, I mean, you lose this game, you're still tied for forced in the NFC South. But I don't think you look at this mathematically. You look at this philosophically and emotionally and a loss to the Falcons this week would be devastating. It would feel devastating. It would be demoralizing. It would be just around the same as, as your loss to the Bucks in week 13 last year, right? So you, you cannot afford to lose this game. And so do what you have to do. Find a way. Change things up. You're going against Ryan Nielsen, a guy who knows your scheme. You've got to get creative. you got to find ways to catch him. You know, you, you can't play a game that he knows you're going to play. you got to find ways to adjust. And so hopefully they're going to be able to do that on offense and defense. We're obviously talking about defense here more so than offense. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nock. We're going to come back. We're going to hit a quick mailbag. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be right back. Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is going to be a quick live mailbag getting ready for week 12. This is a pre-Thanksgiving edition of this podcast. So I, I just, you know, I like food. I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm sure you are too. We still have a couple more Saints practices getting ready for week 12. But, you know, there's going to be some questions we can get into. So so let's start right there. Goonie 300 says, offense slash defense is so outdated. And I agree with this on the offensive side of the ball. I think you would love to see more RPOs. You would love to see more play action, more motion. That's all fair game to me. I think that is more than accurate. And, you know, as much as I think Pete Carmichael is a good coach, Pete Carmichael is a good football mind. I'm, I, I don't think even if you even if you find success at the end of this season and you and you make a run in the playoffs, you do whatever. I still think you need to replace him as the offense coordinator. I thought you need to replace him last year as the offense coordinator, at least in terms of as the play caller, but that's neither here nor there. You know, I actually, I don't think the defense is outdated. I really don't. Like, I, I think people confuse creativity with, with, with success. And it's like, you know, some of the best defenses go back and look, they're not doing crazy things. They're running their base defense throughout the entire game and you have to beat it. And until you do, they're not going to change. Like you don't have to get creative on defense. If you're winning with your base package, right? Like you want to be able to just rush four and drop seven and make life miserable on opposing quarterbacks. The, what you have to be able to do in those circumstances is get pressure with your front four. And I think what this team has gotten a bit too comfortable with on the defensive side of the ball is saying we trust our secondary, we trust our corners, we can play man-to-man. But and, and that's working, right? Like you talk about the issues containing quarterbacks, right? Well, if they were able to throw, they would throw, right? Like you're talking about guys scrambling because they have to scramble, they have to extend plays. And the issue is you have not been able to stop them from extending plays, which to me is like, okay, so you're winning. You're getting you're getting the looks you want. You're just not getting the production out of your front four that you have to get, particularly to finish plays. Um, and 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 to me, that's got to change. And you know, while you would love to not have to send extra pressure, at a certain point, you do lose that ability. You lose that option. And I think the Saints are there right now because 18 sacks through 10 games is just is just nowhere near good enough. But I appreciate appreciate the comment. 
Goonie 300s is we just line up and play man to man and think we're going to win like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you do need to mix in more zone. I, I agree with that too. Let's continue. St. John Butler says miles Garrett has 13 sacks. Our entire defense has 18 time to dial up the heat. Yeah. It would be nice to have miles Garrett. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's, you know, that's part of the frustration is, you know, this is a team that wants to generate pressure with this front four and has invested heavily in being able to generate pressure with the front four, right? Like, there's a reason you went out and drafted uh, defensive ends in the first round. There's a reason you went and aggressively got Marcus Davenport. There's a reason you went and aggressively, you know, and drafted Peyton Turner in the first round. There's a reason you drafted Isaiah Foskey in the second round this last season. The issue is you've just not gotten production out of any of those players. And yes, you do need to look long and hard at your evaluation process in terms of what defensive ends you're bringing in. I'm still, I still have hope, high hopes for Isaiah Foskey. I'm not giving up on Isaiah yet. You know, I think that he was in line to have an increased role. And then that quad injury happened at a very inconvenient time. And you've just, you know, this has been a very frustrating few games. And hopefully, you know, as we talked about, he's back practicing on a limited capacity. Hopefully he can get back. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been rough. And, you know, Peyton Turner again, you know, it's, that one's tough because I actually think that Peyton Turner has it within him to be a good defensive end in the NFL. He just can't stay healthy. And, you know, that's the frustrating part. You can say, well, there's no way to know that a guy's going to get hurt other than the track record in college of getting hurt. But at the same time, it's like stop drafting injury prone defensive ends, stop drafting defensive ends who have dealt with injuries throughout college. And, you know, it, it, it's tough because I think Brian Brzee, I think that was a, has, that has been a pick that looks really good. And he was an injury-prone uh, defensive lineman. So, you know, that's what you're going to say is, well, well, it worked there. It didn't work there. So I don't know. But it is frustrating. You do need to generate more pressure fr- up front. And that has been a very – that's been a roadblock to your success this year. And I think they lucked out in terms of Carl Granderson has been a lot better than you probably anticipated. But even then, it's like, yeah, he's been very good for – a UDFA defensive end out of Wyoming who has developed and gotten better and better and better. You know, the best defenses in the NFL, they have guys like Miles Garrett, you know, and and TJ Watt and guys like that. Guys that are are these elite players that you you brought in to be that guy. Um and so yeah, I I that has probably been the biggest frustration of this season for me. Corvette BMW, they can't find a play for Jimmy Graham. <laughs> no, apparently they cannot. And I I said the other day that I'm done talking about it because it's just not worth it because it's clear. Like if you were going to find plays for Jimmy Graham, you would have done it by now. And, you know, it to me, it looks like if Juwan Johnson and Foster Morrow are healthy and to a lesser extent, Taysom Hill in terms of your tight end room, you're not going to see Jimmy Graham. Because if you were going to see him, you would have seen him. And the frustrating thing is, wouldn't Jimmy Graham have been real nice to have on the field for that Hail Mary uh, against the Vikings? Probably. Um, but no, I don't think they are, they can or are going to find a play for Jimmy Graham. Tim Fabenro says, Jeff, have you seen that chart that shows how far behind our offensive play calling is in the NFL? We are last, and yet we don't need to change right now. It's maddening. Well, okay. So that chart, I've seen that chart over and over again. It assumes that there is a set metric for what offensive that, that you can grade offensive play calling in terms of being better or worse. And 
the pro so th there's that I know exactly what chart you're talking about. And what I, the, the, and I don't, I don't disagree that the saints play calling is, is archaic in a sense, but like you also, you know, there's, I think play calling is overrated at points. Like at a certain point, you just need the, the players to win. They need to, to win on their routes and they need to make catches and they, you know, they, you know, they need to make blocks, you know, they need to find seams. And so you can say it's on the play calling, but that chart itself is very self-aggrandizing in the sense that you're talking. So it's talking about this play calling metric that has been established based on the, the types of calls that are correct, that are, that are, that are an addition to your chance to win. And then it is using the, the y-axis to, to grade the easy button usage, which is RPOs, play action, motion, that sort of thing. But the problem with that is you're, you're using the same variable to grade. So it makes it seem worse than it is because you're talking bottom left-hand corner, top right-hand corner. And so it's, it's doubling down on its own success in, in saying like, this is the right thing to do. So you're using both <laughs> axes to, uh, to, to, to indicate that, which is why, yeah. So if he was last in that metric, he's going to be last in that metric, which means he's there. And if you're first, so it doesn't really change anything. It might as well be a straight line. And yes, I agree that, you know, Pete Carmichael has not been getting the job done, but neither have the players, neither has the scheme. So, you know, and, and again, it's not like I agree that you probably should have made a change this last offseason. You probably should make a change this offseason, but there's nothing you're going to do in season that's going to substantively change that. You're not going to completely rebuild your offensive scheme. You're not going to completely rebuild your playbook in season. So, no, I don't think that making a change now would be helpful. But, you know, I, I do think that it's an interesting metric. I just... I just question this idea that that it's not like there is a there's a there's a yes answer and a no answer. It is this spectrum of what the correct thing would be. And that chart is assuming that anyone knows that in every circumstance. And that's just not true. Um, but I but I, I think it's interesting. And if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Here's another one. It says, I would agree with you. If we didn't call shot plays and we were only down by eight with 10 minutes left at the 50 yard line, make it make sense. See, this I agree with 100%. <laughs> in, especially in that game in particular. I, so to, I differ in the idea of I'm okay with shot plays in situations that might not look like a shot play situation, right? Third and, third and 13, right? No one's complaining about that shot play because it worked. And that's my criticism is if you're going to complain about shot plays, complain about the ones that work because it's the same principle. You're doing the same thing. You were in the same situation against Tennessee and you ran a shot play and it worked. You're in the same situation against Carolina. You ran a shot play and it worked to close out both of those games. You were in a virtually the same situation against the Colts. You ran a shot play and it worked and you closed out that game. Now against the Vikings is a very different situation because you, you went into that game with a game plan, you got down by 20, 21, 24 points in the third quarter. And then you threw out your entire game plan, right? You threw out the, the entire, you know, I think uh, we talked to Mark Slurth on Sports Talk and, it, and, he, and he mentioned that, you know, it feels at times like offensive coordinators are looking for every excuse possible to get away from the run. And that's what it felt like happened in that game in terms of, you know, you're down 24 and you're like, we got to make something happen. We got to make something happen. And I think the Saints almost forgot that it's like there's a point where if we're only down one score, we play like we're down one score. We don't play like we're down 21. And they never got out of that mode. 
And and so in that game in particular, I I agree. There was no reason to be taking shots from midfield when all you needed to do was get a couple first downs. And no, I, I, I agree. You know, I think Pete, I was, I was a lot less critical of Pete at the beginning of the season because I think the way the offense was operating actually made a little bit more sense and you were, you were finding your way. The problem is the offense hasn't adapted throughout the course of the season. It has been stubbornly the same. And, you know, you've seen things change in spurts, but it just feels like they're, it, it, I just don't see Pete as having the ability to, to create a game plan and, and more and have that kind of mold itself to a game situation as a game develops. And, you know, it's it like, I, I think that more, more responsibility should be put on Derek Carr at the line. Right. And obviously that's not an answer for the Vikings game, because I think that's what has been happening in games throughout the course of a game is, is Derek is kind of leading that in terms of the second half adjustments and how you're operating down the stretch of games, especially in the tempo. And with Jameis, it just didn't happen that way. And that's why it just seemed very stubborn in that game because, because that's just not what happened. And, and if you go and you look at how these games have gone, typically the Saints offense has improved as the game has gone on. Uh, you know, the, the Titans win, the Colts win, the Texans game, right? Where you made a run in the second half. The Jags game where you made a run in the second half. Even the Vikings game to an extent. It just it kind of got bogged down. So I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. It's it's frustrating. But again, I just don't see how it's like making a play caller change right now would help you because because it's not like you're bringing anybody in. You're bringing in a P, another person from the same offense who already has that 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 infrastructure uh, in their brain. So yeah. Either way, I think you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about this team this week, and if if they can't figure it out, if the offense just gets stuck in the mud again, then maybe yeah, maybe you do make a change. But I just don't see it um, unless you have to do it. I don't think you're gonna do it. All right, let's get to a few more. Thanks, Tim, for the questions. As always, um, Danny T. The issue is tackling too? Question mark, especially at the linebacker position. P can't play coverage now. You know, it's funny because you, I would tend to agree in terms of there are moments throughout a game where you just, it feels like they forget how to tackle and there are big missed tackles, right? There, there are missed tackles that, that end up leading to 20, 30 yard gains that shouldn't exist, but it's, it's less about tackling. It's more about angles, I think, because like you don't see the Saints you know, it's like you talk, well, what's a missed tackle, right? It's a chance to, it's it's a tackle that should be made that you blow. It's not a tackle that you never get to, right? And so you look at the numbers and the Saints, they've missed 41 tackles this year. That's not that many. You're talking about, you know, less than four per game. That's not a ton of missed tackles. Uh, I think it's 26th in the NFL in terms of, so you're not missing tackles when you get to them. You're just not getting the proper angles. And and that's a team speed issue. And I've talked about this before. You got to find ways to fix that. And I just don't know how you do that in season. And I think, but like we talked about, more zone. You're know, putting people in position to break from the top down as opposed to chase. You know, and that's just not something this defense has done traditionally. Maybe you can get into that more uh, because you're already playing at a disadvantage with without Marshawn, maybe you can make some adjustments there that, that help you down the stretch. But, you know, it's funny. I looked that up expecting to see the missed tackle number be a lot higher, and it actually isn't that high. And, and again, I think it's more about angles than actual tackling. 
Um, but it's interesting. Goonie 300 again. Mickey and Dennis Allen are content with just winning a horrible division. And I see, I, I don't see the, the issue with, with, with being okay with winning a horrible division. You should want to win your division. You're not like, I, I don't understand the, the, the dream of being bad. Like there's this, there's this pie in the sky idea of, I want to rebuild so that maybe in 10 years we can be back to this point, but be slightly better. The answer is you go find a quarterback, you get that quarterback, but it's not as simple as just bringing in a quarterback. There's no, there's no, there's no sign hanging over their head saying this is the franchise quarterback, right? Like you're, you're, you're just as likely to get that top pick and draft. I don't know, Sam Darnold as you are a CJ Stroud. And the fact is the Saints aren't going to get into that position unless they completely tear down the entire roster. And then you have unwatchable season after unwatchable season after unwatchable season. That's, it's not better. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, and, and people say, well, they should, they should, the, the, it worked for the Texans and, and, you know, the Texans are in a very good position right now, but the, the Saints are nowhere near where the Texans were going into this season. Right. First of all, the Texans had three failed seasons. They had three seasons worse than any the Saints have had in the last 15, 16 years. Like, so dropping to the bottom of the barrel, it's not a one season and done thing unless you luck, no pun intended, into Andrew Luck, like the Colts did, where Peyton Manning had neck surgery and then they just happened to be the worst team in the NFL, got the number one pick. And then he had a no brainer first number one overall pick, right? That doesn't happen. That's luck. That is dumb luck for luck. And anyway, I'm sorry. I need to stop saying luck. Either way, you know, you're way more likely to end up in the situation the Panthers are in where you, the guy you want is at the top and you go get him. You know, the, what I will say for the saints is I don't think Gail would force anything. <laughs> I don't think that's not the type of owner she is. And, uh, and you'll go from there. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with winning a division. I want to group for a team that, that wants to go out and win its division. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I think there are issues that you need to fix, but I don't think intentionally creating a situation where your team should go out and lose because they are not good enough to win is the answer. Personally, <laughs> this guy's name is drew three, eight, eight hater. Says I'm gonna go be so pissed if we draft another lineman in the first round. Why? I I don't understand that either. You know, like 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 look at the teams who have drafted well historically, and they're the teams that draft linemen in the first round. You like that they're they're not the sexy picks, but like I think teams that go out and draft skill positions in the top ten are are you know like go show me that. You know, other than maybe Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, which was just a no-brainer slam dunk, these guys were stars in college. They're going to be stars together in the NFL. That made sense. In most cases, not drafting a lineman in the top 10 is a mistake. Look at the Jags taking Leonard Fournette. Look at the look at the Giants taking Saquon Barkley. Look at the Falcons taking Bijan Robinson, which, you know, there's still time, but I think they're going to regret that greatly like look at the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts right like that's where you're able to build you're either taking a quarterback you're taking a lineman or you were taking a defensive back like those are the three three I guess four positions because you're talking offense defensive lineman those are the four positions that you really 
can only find in the first round in terms of no brainer blue chip prospects. Like everything else is a is a get them in the system and see if we can develop them into a starter. But you can find skill position players in the in the mid rounds. Alvin Kamara was a third round pick, right? Like the, there's a whole mess of options outside of the first round for all these other positions. And you should be drafting linemen in the, in the first round. The problem is not that the saints have drafted. The problem is not the positions the saints have targeted in the draft. The problem is the production from the players you've targeted in the draft. And so you look at Jeff Ireland, you look at all this, you know, one of the things that I am annoyed with is, we talked to Jeff Ireland at the Senior Bowl, and they say, "I yeah, he, he says I like dual threat quarterbacks. I am the scouting director for this team, and what kind of quarterback do I want? A dual threat quarterback. Well, you go out and you draft Jake Hayner. <laughs> like <laughs> either either you admit that that is that is the way to go, or it's not. But saying that and then not drafting the dual threat quarterback makes no sense to me. But all right, let's let's wrap this up. I appreciate everyone who came in here, dropped a comment. I know everyone's kind of getting ready for Thanksgiving, and I am as well. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm going to be eating dinner across the wall. The uh, My neighbor is, is invited us over, so we're going to be doing that. So I hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving, and you know, I hope uh, everyone enjoys plenty of turkey or whatever your, whatever your vice is. Uh, vice of choice is enjoy the day and uh, enjoy football. The Saints aren't playing. They cannot ruin your day. You are safe. You are safe from that this year. So I, I know I'm happy about it. I, I, I am curious, you know, do people like watching the Saints on Thanksgiving? I actually kind of prefer when my team is not playing on Thanksgiving because I like to watch football, but I don't like to be stressed. <laughs> and watching the Saints, if anything, is stressful. So, you know, enjoy that. Enjoy enjoy whatever it is you like to enjoy. And thanks, as always, for listening Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak. Subscribe. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Check out the latest news, notes, and analysis on WWL.com. And, and listen, if you can't watch the game, listen to the game on WWL. Be on there. Be headed out to Atlanta, standing on the sideline this weekend. The, I've been out to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium several times. I've never watched a game from the sideline, so I am excited about that. And hopefully the Saints can give you something to get excited about. All right, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. Be easy. Peace. Peace.